last version of the internet, your whole job was to make a product 10 times better than it was before. In the next generation of the internet, it is making something somebody thought was impossible possible. Come on. Did you ever think it was going to be possible to get paid to exercise? That is a massive societal change. Exactly. And if you're a marketer and you can make that change in the little part of the world that you're involved with sooner rather than later, that is an unfair competitive advantage that will last for years. Hey, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your weekly marketing podcast where we take you behind the scenes to tell you the truth teach you the things that nobody else would dare to teach you. I am your co-host, Kip Bodner, CMO here at HubSpot. I am joined, as always, by my co-host and partner in podcasting, Kieran Flanagan, SVP of Marketing. What's up, Kieran? Welcome to the show, listeners. Uh, Excited to be here. Kip, I want to start this episode with three words and gauge your reaction. Okay. Are you ready? Please. I'm very interested in this. Love is blind. Do you know what I'm talking about? I believe you're talking about an outrageous Netflix show. <laughs> yes, that was my uh, last weekend. If anyone wants to watch extremely addictive but trashy TV, go check out Love is Blind. Uh, I don't know if you've watched it. I can give you a synopsis of what happens if you want. Uh, I've, I've read synopses <laughs> on Twitter enough to feel like I've watched it. And I know people are really irrational reacting to basically people doing really stupid things on that show. Is that the gist? You know, it's a very emotional roller coaster, Kip, that you go on with these couples. <laughs> <laughs> and they meet each other in boxes. They can't see each other. They decide to get married after a week. Actually, it's a whole marriage where you can get married and get divorced <laughs> near enough all within the full month, which is a great way to do it, right? We want we want everything to be faster. Why not just accelerate <laughs> the entire process? This is the thing. Right. Our society is speeding up, speeding up, speeding up. Maybe there are some things that shouldn't speed up. <laughs> Maybe like, like lifelong commitment and love maybe we can take a couple months you know i mean call, call me a hopeless romantic but it seems a little aggressive but i have not watched love is blind karen i have been watching after party on apple plus mm. uh which is an awesome murder mystery show but i'm apparently going to have to catch up on love is blind so i can fit in with everyone on the internet we can talk about it on the next show the other thing i wanted to start with <laughs> absolutely was a quick i will tell you why i'm doing this a quick round of applause And that is for LinkedIn joining us in the podcast network game. (laughs) Welcome, LinkedIn. The water's warm. Come on in. Hmm. I wonder where that idea came from. Just to be clear, we were really one of the first company-owned business podcast networks. We now have, what, north of 7 million listeners listening every month, and it's been a huge success. So it's fun. You know, Let's, let's compete. Competition is good. Yeah, so LinkedIn launched the podcast network. I thought that was cool news. I thought one of the interesting things is they, we can maybe hash this out live on air because I was going to tell you about this. <laughs> nice, let's do it. Is they actually have sponsors. I noticed that. Right. IBM is sponsoring the LinkedIn podcast network. Really, LinkedIn? Kind of interesting. I thought it was pretty short-sighted to LinkedIn. If you're going to start a podcast network like that, do it to be the best and biggest podcast network in the world. Right. Don't underwrite it with sponsors. You're LinkedIn. You're not like cash constrained. It just shows that it's not that big of a priority for them. Right. And the opportunity is to not make money on that podcast network. It's to have massive influence over your community and mobilize your community to new products, new features, and everything else longer term. So I didn't love the sponsor strategy, candidly. It makes it look a little bit, not I wouldn't say tacky, but just not as legit as I think they could have made it. 
The other thing I will jump into because it's related and I'll give you the floor then is I love this from YouTube that they give grants to podcast creators to create a video version of their show, like 300K. We talked about this before. The best startup to be part of is a startup that has inbuilt distribution. Actually, if I was looking for a role today and I was like, oh, like I have all of these roles, I have choice. I would categorize them by the distribution upside. Like where can I see clear distribution upside and choose and prioritize those companies? And YouTube can win podcasts. Yes. Because it actually has a better distribution engine than Apple, Spotify, any of these other platforms for podcasts which is search because the death of most podcasts is there is zero long tail equity. You listen to a show and then it disappears. Mm -hmm. YouTube with search has all of that equity. And I'm curious to get your opinion on what do you think about that move by YouTube and what do you think the long-term plan here here is for a podcast? Kieran, I'm fascinated about what you just said. I want to break it down a little bit more for the listeners before we even go down this. If you think about this first segment of the show, Kieran is dropping some knowledge on YouTube and its advantage in the podcast space. The reason for that is YouTube is the second most popular search engine in the world after Google. And if you're a business and you've got a podcast or if you're an individual, you've got a podcast, basically how you attract people is through word of mouth and people knowing about the name of your show and looking for the name of your show, listening, subscribing, because they basically have that branded search term. They know what your show is called and what it's about. There's very little traffic that comes from people looking for topics right. that they want to just listen to a bunch of different podcasts on. Mm. And that latter part is what YouTube yeah. nails, right? You can look at specific topics, specific guests, much better YouTube search than you can in Spotify search or Apple podcast search because those traditional podcast platforms are anchored around the hosts and the name of the show versus the content right. of the show itself. Right. And I think we're going to move to a world longer term where the content is more important or just as important as the host. And so that means if you are a business or individual doing a podcast, you can't ignore YouTube. And the fact that YouTube is now going to start giving you money to make a version of your show, which takes some of the video production and editing expense away, that is just a no-brainer because then you're going to see growth, and that growth is going to allow you to fund better and better investment yep. into the work you're doing on YouTube. So I think it's a huge opportunity for creators, and I think we're going to see the rise of podcasting on YouTube really take off over the next 12 to 18 months. The thing that I think that most podcast discovery engines miss is one of the big ways that you can get people into different podcasts is through related podcasts. Like, you, you like this thing, you probably like these other things, which is what large proportion of your traffic in YouTube will come from related videos. Some of it will come from search, but a lot of it actually comes from recommended videos. And all podcast discovery engines are predicated on here are other podcasts you like because you listen to this podcast. They all miss out on here are other podcasts you like because you enjoy this guest. Yes. Right. And I think YouTube can do those things much, much better. It shows you that audio as a format, podcast in particular, still has a, tons of discovery problems. And so when you're thinking about your marketing strategy, you're thinking about the stories you're trying to tell, audio is a powerful tool with deep engagement. But while there's still some underlying flaws in the infrastructure around how people experience and discover audio stories today. I have a third that you're going to like, but I'm going to give you the floor. I'm going to see what's piqued your interest over the past week. All right. So everyone listening to this episode, I wanted to do a very special episode that I'm calling the Twitter Sode. <laughs> I wanted to take the best and brightest from Twitter. And instead of having a guest, I wanted to talk about fascinating things from Twitter that mm. will tilt everybody that's listening's perspective on growth. 
So first things first, Kieran, I got a good one for you. There's a gentleman named Pat Grady. Pat Grady is a partner at Sequoia Capital. He is an awesome person, super, super smart human being. He just celebrated his 15th year anniversary at Sequoia. He was the Sequoia partner that invested in HubSpot many, many years ago. And he did a pretty awesome Twitter thread, Kieran. It's interesting for a few reasons. One, did, did you see this yet? I don't think did, I saw this. I saw a Sequoia partner and the guy from Bolt going at each other, but I think this is different. This is different. So Pat posted a thread of 15 lessons from his 15 years at Sequoia. Mm. Very interesting, where Pat has worked with the highest growth, some of the most successful companies ever. One other thing that's interesting, he recorded three to four minute Loom videos for each lesson in his thread. That's very cool. Which I hadn't seen before. I appreciated the depth. If you were thinking about your Twitter strategy audience and you're thinking about how you're going to really stand out and add some depth, I like the tactic that Pat gave us there. But so I read through, I watched the videos. There's some really interesting things. The story that really kind of stood out to me was a story he shared about Frank Slootman, who is now the CEO of Snowflake, was previously the CEO of ServiceNow, two hugely successful technology companies. And the lesson he cited from Frank was, go to the extremes. And he told a story of Frank in a board meeting and a partner from Sequoia providing feedback to Frank and Frank just saying, you know, thanks for that. But I want you to know how I see the world. My job as a CEO is to build the strategy and grow the business. If I can't do that, your job as the board is to fire me. <laughs> and it was basically the nicest way ever of saying, like, leave me alone. Like, I am <laughs> defining the rules of the road. Yeah. This is why I'm here. This is why you're here. You know, don't try to be the CEO. I'm going to try to be the CEO. But I think it was a really clear, interesting lesson in moving to, like, extreme, extreme clarity. Mm. And, you know, in marketing... What normally happens is marketers try to solve for multiple audiences, both internal and external, and the message and the tactics get muddied. Right. And there isn't that clarity. And that's where so many of us go off the rails. And I thought that lesson from Frank via Pat was really, really interesting, specifically through the lens of marketing and business growth. What do you think, Kieran? Have you seen other people kind of take that extreme mentality and use that effectively? First of all, we'll put that thread in the show notes. I think a lot of listeners would be curious to read that. Yes. I think simplicity is underrated. And at times we want to overcomplicate things to feel smart. The smartest people that I know are able to distill things down into such simple terms that it it just makes total sense, right? They're, they're able to complicate things and make them very simplistic. And I think to your point in relation to marketing, the challenge for a marketer is like a CEO saying that to the board, I think they have just a ton of leverage. Like what, what are the board going to do? Like say, hey, you, you can't tell us things like this. Like, you know, we, we don't really spoke to you like this. The, the CEO just has a ton of leverage in that case or in that situation. But does a marketer, does a CMO, are they able to do that to a CEO when a CEO is the one trying to push them to do a bunch of things that they don't think are the valuable things to do. Like if I'm a CEO and I said, look, the thing I'm going to do over the next 12 months is I'm going to change perception of a brand and here are the core metrics that I'm going to use. And it matters because of these reasons. And I'm going to increase the signups of our product by X percent. That's it. They're the only two things I'm going to do. And you can judge me on my success against those two things. Mm -hmm. And I think marketers struggle with that. Well, there's a reason for that, Karen. There's a reason for that is because the enemy of clarity is fear. 
You cannot have clarity if you've got fear involved. You don't want to put yourself out there. You don't want to put yourself out there and you don't want to force somebody to make a choice that you're afraid of the answer to. Right. Because if you're a marketing leader and you say that and you are and you know in the heart of hearts and in the best, most deep resources of your brain that, hey, this is what's the right thing to do is. And if I can't focus to do these things, it doesn't matter. I'm going to fail. Right. And I'd rather not waste all my time and go and do something else. If like, we're not aligned on this, just like fire me and we'll move on. You have to let go of the fear of, oh, I really like this job. Can I get a different job I really like? Uh, you know, I really love my team, all this stuff. You have to say, this is what is necessary to be successful. And the only way you can do that is if you let go of fear. Right. And, you know, so fear becomes the enemy of clarity. I think in Frank's advice around kind of moving towards these extremes. And it comes back to when you're making a choice on where you think you can add most benefit to a, a new company that you may be deciding to lead marketing for, there's a skill in being able to tell in a very short period of time what that company and what that product needs to be successful from a marketing perspective, and then making a decision based upon do they fit into your skills. And I was talking to someone actually who was taken on a CMO role, like maybe three months ago, and they were bringing me through the company. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, like what this product is going to need to be successful is not the thing that you are good at. Like, I, I didn't say that outwardly to that person, but I was like, yeah, and I don't think it's going that well, because there's just a mismatch. I think people who generally do well are great in a couple of areas. And for the most part, I'm on the, the kind of side of sticking to the things you're great at and not not trying to make yourself better at the things you're not great at, like spending so much time and trying to get better at the things that you're not better. Like just stick to the things that make you money. Truth, preach. And just keep making money of those and try to be cognizant of those in every choice you make. Well, Kieran, before we move on, I think there's another interesting thing here. There's a fear around for marketing leaders of kind of putting themselves out there. There's also a hesitancy to admit what marketing can't fix. Mm. Like marketing can't fix a bad product. Right. Or marketing can't fix a bad pricing model that customers don't feel like they have got the right value proposition. You can do the best marketing in the whole, whole world and it won't matter. It can paper over cracks. You have to have both the business strategy and acumen as well as the self-reliance to say like, look, I could do the best job I possibly could and it won't matter. Right. And so cool, can we go fix these other more important issues or I should just move on? I agree. An average marketer at a company with a killer product makes more money than a killer marketer at a company with a crappy product, unfortunately. I completely agree. Congrats to Pat Grady at Pat Grady on Twitter. We'll drop the Twitter thread in the show notes. Really good lessons. I highly recommend you checking out all of them. I just wanted to drop that particular one for discussion today because I thought it was I thought it was an interesting one. All right. Do you want to hear the next yes. Twitter learning, Twitter sewed segment? Hit me. Uh, it comes to us from Chris Cantonio at Cantonio on Twitter. He is a venture capitalist, investor, former startup leader in now big into Web3. And he had a very simple tweet, Kieran, that I want your reaction to. He said in Web2, and, and just for everybody listening, Web2, I think of like the last 10 years of the internet, businesses thought about customer acquisition cost. And in Web3, businesses think about community acquisition costs. Mm. So Web3 being kind of the next 10, 20 years of the internet and how businesses are going to go. And so obviously, the thinking of about moving from customer acquisition cost to community acquisition cost is a big deal if you're a marketer. Do you agree? Do you disagree? What's your take? I'm going to go a long-winded answer because actually one of the things that I've come prepared with is a ton of things that I knew you would enjoy, which is incentives in Web3 that are interesting for acquisition. Oh, I, I love incentives. I think Web3, your metrics do change, right? Your cost per acquisition changes because in a lot of times you're incentivizing that group through mechanisms and you have to try to figure out 
what is my cost? In Web2, leads and things like that, we had a cost per acquisition. In freemium, you make the product free, so your cost per acquisition goes down. And actually, in Web3, I think your incentives drastically change that again because you have a flywheel effect through your incentives. And I don't know how it changes. I've been mulling that over a little bit, but I do think how you think about acquiring customers and the cost to doing that is greatly changed when you're using these different incentives through tokens to build your business. I, I want to get to that in a minute. But so do you agree with him or not? Like, are we going to move from customer acquisition cost to community acquisition? Well, okay. So what's the difference between we already have a cost to acquire a lead, a cost to acquire a user, a cost to acquire a customer, right? In Web2. What is the difference? Mm-hmm. What are we saying as a community member? Like, how do we differentiate a community member? So let me give you let me give you my interpretation of what he's saying, because this is Twitter, right? You put out something vague. It's kind of like modern art. <laughs> you throw out something and See what sticks. everybody has their interpretation. own interpretation of what it is, you know, and it's platitudinal enough that it works, but it's great for a discussion like this. Here's here's my take on it. What is happening in the world, as we've talked a little bit previously on this show, is that the reason communities are becoming more important is because going through intermediaries to reach people directly like Google and Facebook is getting way more expensive. Mm. And because you can now properly incentivize your community members to share in the success of your business with you in a way that you couldn't before through the use of tokens, through NFTs, through a whole host of things. And so if you think about that, then it just becomes an economic proposition to me where, wow, the cost of the old way of doing it is getting so high that one, you can take more risks to do the new way because the old way is becoming untenable. And then it's like, cool, can I take that same amount of money, incentivize my community to drive referrals, be advocates, spread word of mouth, drive the brand, and can I factor basically in customer acquisition cost on top of that? So my whole thing on all of this is it's never an or, it's always an and. We're not going to give up customer acquisition cost. What we're saying is community acquisition cost is going to be the precursor. We're going to figure out the economics of acquiring people through communities. And that customer acquisition cost is going to be basically an output metric of how effective our community strategy is. I just don't know if it's that differentiated for some of the things we already did today. Let, let me give you an example. I'm a product-led company, and I have different viral mechanics within my product to acquire users, whether that's through usage-based virality, referral-based virality, where I incentivize referrals to use it. Even B2C products, this happens a lot, right? We incentivize referrals. And we already have data models to say, well, each user I acquire acquires X number of additional users, and I can cost that how much it takes me to acquire all those users, right, based upon certain channels. Like the the Web3, the the logic and the mechanics, actually the way you get the data and the way you interpret the data and how you look at the data is different, but the actual logic to that is no more different in that I'm acquiring a community of people around my product who I can provide incentives to do self-referrals or referrals and other things like that, and I have to cost that out. My thing is we already do that in Web2, it's just the... We do it really badly at Web2. I think product-led companies do it pretty well. I think like... I think they do it okay. I think we do it okay. They're okay. The thing that Web3 gives you is just way more trackable incentives. Yeah. T- t- tell me one major successful company that you know right now that has a really good attributable community growth model. A, a software company? Any company. Well, I, I don't know of any. I don't know. Look, if you go from a typical B2B SaaS company to a B2B product-led company... Even just those growth models are so differentiated from each other. Like the way you look at the business, the way you look at the different metrics are so different from each other. Web3 is like a whole 
next step in terms of how we have to to do that. So I agree with him. I just think the there's just so many unknowns in that, which just comes back to like how many different ways you can incentivize people today. It's going to be hard, I think, over time yeah. uh, to track those in the short to medium term. But in the long term, I think we're going to have some pretty interesting data models. Cool. Okay, I want to go, I want to go on to my last finding for the Twitter sode from my side. It's a few weeks old at this point, but I thought it was really clever. And one of the things in talking to people listening to the show and talking to people about this show in general is they always love a good example. Everybody loves a good example of somebody doing some clever marketing for themselves. And an example that I want to call out is I want to call out Yulia Bell from Notice. So it's Git notice n-o-t-u-s dot i-o shout out to them and the team and they're building a software product whose job is to basically like map influence and use your network to Mm. basically do marketing drive influencer marketing at scale and so for valentine's day she said hey anybody who likes this tweet i will reply back with your Twitter, your Twitter loves basically who are the people you engaging the most with on Twitter, top five basically, and it was great because it was low friction. All you had to do was like like this tweet, and she'd reply to you. You didn't have to do anything else. It showcased the magic of her product that she could do that and get that back to you so so quickly. That's cool. It showed you the base level value proposition. It got. I don't even know how many likes, thousands of likes, a hugely successful Twitter-only campaign. And I loved that it was this perfect line of like, got a lot of attention, got a lot of distribution, but also really showcased the core the tool. value proposition of the tool. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Let me give you a really great campaign someone should do. So, well, you tell me if you think it's good. You can tell me if it sucks as well. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. It's, it's it. really, really simple. Uh, I think someone should build an app that allows me to go and choose my favorite NFT, like just the one I really like, where it's Dijon Apes or the CryptoPunks or whatever it may be, and upload my profile, and it spits back my profile in that kind of design for Twitter. Because the problem with uh, NFTs for Twitter and profile pics, now I know that you could say, well, you're stealing that. You know, you haven't bought the NFT, but it's not actually yeah. the NFT. It's the profile version, your profile version of the NFT. Yeah. But I'm, I'm still not, I don't enjoy NFTs for Twitter profiles. I want to be able to tell who everyone is. I don't like it. It ruins my experience. But I think it's kind of cool to do up your profile pick in the form of an NFT and get that given back to you. Like I could pick Dijon Apes and someone sends me back me as a Dijon Ape. Yeah. I would use that service. <laughs> so if anyone wants to build it. P.S. Complete sidebar for Kieran and I and BCC, the audience. We should definitely do an episode at some point. Half-baked marketing campaign ideas. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to come with half-baked right so like uh, on the surface they may be great or after two minutes of debate they may be terrible half-baked marketing campaign ideas coming on a future episode i don't know i do i really want a twitter theme i didn't think you would like it no well i'm team nft you're team NFT. i'm t differentiation yeah yeah, yeah marketing is a differentiation man yeah I, I don't want to clone somebody else's look. I, w- I want my own look. That's the that's the whole game in marketing. All these right-click merchants. Okay, well, I would use it. Kip would not use it. Well, well any developers listening, you have one user. You have, yeah, you have one user. Good luck. Uh, you know what the other problem is? It's not a very good app because you would use it like... You want to use it for free one time. Awesome, <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. So it just built it and everyone's like, ah. Oh, Go have somebody do it for you on Fiverr <laughs> yeah, for like yeah. 50 bucks. I think I'm going to do that. Actually, I was looking into that uh, this week. So you, you definitely should. Check my Twitter profile very soon to see me appear <laughs> as a DJ Nape. And then someone <laughs> will call me after being a right-click copy merchant and not actually own in the NFT. And so for people who don't know, DJ Nape is an NFT project on the Solana blockchain that Kieran really loves. 
I like him. But he doesn't want to be a degenate because he wants people to still know that he's Kieran. And so he wants a Kieran version of his profile photo in like the degenate style. Exactly. Now, Kip, you're going to like this one. Okay. Okay. Hit me up. It's Web3 and it's how incentives could disrupt a brand that is the predominant brand within that space. Oh, let's do this. This was given to me by Matt Barbie. Uh, Matt Barbie has a lot of great crypto knowledge. If you want to check him out on Twitter, Uh, you're going to love this one. So you know the app Strava, Matt My Run, right? Uh, I'm a big Strava user. Yeah. I use it for my hikes. I use it to track my Pelotoning. Absolutely. So when you sit down a web tour, like how do you disrupt an app that is just so ubiquitous for the thing it does across the uh, the smartphone? You're like, oh, geez, that's really hard. Really hard. Let me talk you through a great example that Matt and I were talking about Web3. There's an app called Steppen. Mm-hmm. And Steppen is so dope, right? It is a, basically, it combines like fitness with a play to earn game. So what they've done is they've built the actual app, like a Map My Run or Strava, where you can log in and you can actually do your exercise and it tracks you. But the thing you can actually do is you can go and buy an NFT within their app. So you can buy these different NFTs, a different kind of sneakers, mm-hmm. a walk sneaker, a jog sneaker, a run sneaker. Each NFT then comes with ranges that you need to stay within when you are either walking, running, or jogging. And when you stay within those range, for each 10 minutes of activity, you earn $30 through the Solana blockchain. That to me people look for tangible examples of why web three companies will be able to win and disrupt web two companies. That, that is an example of a, of a company that actually is using web three mechanics to do something differentiated and better, right? It's differentiated and better. So this is important. This is, this is really important. That's an awesome example. I'm going to go use the app. I'll take 30 bucks. I love money. <laughs> I'm unabashed in saying that, but this is a really important point for everybody listening. So I want to slow it down a second. So when you're listening to the news or you're on Twitter and people are talking about NFTs and Web3, it seems like really abstract and futuristic and stupid. And like, it's really easy to like naysay all of it. I get that. A lot of it is going to be crap and a lot of it's going to fall away. But at its core, when you think about the difference between the last generation of the internet and the next generation of the internet, understand that it is a massive change in incentives and the ability to incentivize. Exactly. And that the last version of the internet, your whole job was to make a product or value proposition 10 times better than it was before. In the next generation of the internet, it is making something somebody thought was impossible possible. Mm. Did you ever think it was going to be possible to get paid to exercise? Exactly. That's what you just said. Yeah. Somebody gets paid to exercise. Exactly. Do you know how, how much of a massive impact that has on humanity if you pay people to exercise? You know what it does to hospitalization rates, insurance rates, all of those things. It makes something that you thought was impossible, possible. And if you can't pull that magic trick out as a business over the next 10, 20, 30 years, you're not going to exist. Yep. Because that is the game that is going to change. Don't think about the technology. Think about the change in customer experience. And that move from impossible to possible is that change. Right. So I think in the future, Really understanding incentives is going to be a marketer's core skill set to acquire customers within the future, right? Really understanding how to incentivize your community. And so I went down a rabbit hole, as always, Kip. I didn't just stop and go, that was cool. That's a real good example of an app incentivizing and how you could actually disrupt these players and do great marketing and get people using your app versus these apps. I went into other incentives that are cool for marketers to know about. I want to run some of these by you. Please. Learn to earn. So let me bring the listeners through Learn to Earn. 
exchanges use Learn to Earn to get you to actually use the exchange and start to trade coins. And if you do those things and complete exercises, they will actually deposit free coins into your account. What a great incentive to get someone to actually start to use your product. There are other sites out there. I think Rabbit Hole is an example of a site that aggregate all these tutorials together. And the reason they're doing that is they're acquiring traffic to their site and then they're able to get brands to pay them money to run these tutorials through their site to promote those products. And those brands actually give people free coins to start to learn about their products, use their products. So I think learn to earn is another example of in the future, you could go from the impossible to the possible, which is I could incentivize people within a freemium product to do the core actions that I know translate to that person, probably becoming a customer, probably to retain and better. Mm-hmm. And I can incentivize them through a token. And again, I think it's just a really clever, it will be a really clever incentive in the future to actually help get people to learn user product and incentivize the community around that product. Look, again, people right now are going into debt for education in the world we live in right now. We're going to move to a world where you're going to get paid to learn. Like That is a massive societal change. And if you're a marketer and you can make that change in the little part of the world that you're involved with sooner rather than later, that is an unfair competitive advantage that will last for years. Right. You know, like one of the very first pay to learn companies was was called 21.co and they, it got acquired by Coinbase really early in the crypto space. And you would take quizzes, surveys, different things, and they'd pay you a Bitcoin. And like, this was maybe five, six years ago. I probably have like $1,000 in Bitcoin now just because Bitcoin was cheap then. I did some stuff, you know, from, from that. And that is like a game changer. Game changer. Of a value proposition there that people just don't know is going to be commonplace in the world a decade to 15 years from now. Right. And it doesn't stop there. And so media, like there's a company called Publish Zero X. It's an online news portal. It shares all of its ad revenue or some of its ad revenue with readers and authors. So like readers can tip the authors through the coin. Mm -hmm. Authors get rewarded through the coin. Bankless is another company we've talked about before in the show that we want to get. We're going to have them on the show. We want to get them on the show. We're going to talk to the Bankless folks. They're they're doing some really smart stuff. Bankless actually combines the incentives with the DAO to get decentralized media. But let me me end with one that I thought was kind of interesting because I I've seen the media one, I've seen the learn to earn, and we'll cover a bunch of this in more in depth. We've, we're going to talk some Web3 founders on this show, but there's a cool one kept called Luna Crush. Uh, it's a social intelligence for crypto collects activity across social media for Bitcoin, uh, all these altcoins and, and what influencers are posting and then tries to give you the data to show you like, here's some of the popular coins, here's what people are posting about. What they did was they give out their own token for people who stayed on their website for a consistent amount of time. Mm-hmm. Like actually Hell yes. incentivized you to navigate the website, stay on the website. And so like content was the kind of lever for web to B2B companies. Virality was the lever for product led growth companies. Incentives are going to be the lever for web three companies, right? That is the thing to learn. If you are a marketer content, yes, virality, and incentives, because that's how you're going to grow your business across those different models. The money you pay Google and Facebook now, you're going to move to incentives for your community, and it's going to change the game. Because data privacy is getting harder, tracking is getting harder, ad costs are getting more expensive. The friction to changing and taking that risk is just much lower. And to, to kind of close us out for this episode... If you are a marketer out there, you're listening to this, and you're like, what the hell are these two people talking about? What we're talking about is you know what you want people to do, and you are used to paying a third party 
or an employee to try to get them to do the thing you want. A new option has come. You can pay the person directly to do the thing that you want them to do. Exactly. Full stop. That's it. That's all you need to know. There's a bunch of different ways to do that. We're going to talk about it on a lot of future episodes. Uh, Kieran, I think we should commit to bringing on a great crypto and incentives expert on to to, to talk about this. But I think if you're thinking about your long-term strategy, both career and business, incentives are going to have to be at the forefront. Can I end the show with a shout out to Google? <laughs> I just want I just, I just want an to, unlikely shout out. I know, sure. I know. I wanted to catch you by surprise. I want to shout out Google who realized that forcing people to come into their offices to bounce around on the bouncy balls and play ping pong and have the free food does not beat people not having to commute and saving time. So they're, they're moving to a full hybrid model on April the 4th. Yeah. People don't want to go back to offices full time, folks. Don't try to make them. It's not going to work. Well, the, the whole off going back to work debate is a great example for everybody listening and for the marketers out there. Most companies that are doing that is because they have committed capital. They're like, hey, I've got all this money for these offices and these amenities and everything, and I need people to use them. And if that's the case, you're letting the, the P&L wag the dog more than like the worker experience, customer experience wag the tail of the dog. And, that's, and, and those companies are going to get disrupted. So shout out to any company who understands that we went through a really traumatic period of time that is then going to change how everybody works. Huge shout out to Katie and the, the whole team at HubSpot on the people upside who have done yes. an amazing job leaning amazing into that job. too. So it was a round of applause for them. Kieran, I liked our Twitter episode today. I love it. Like It was a lot of fun. It was a nice little detour. We, we 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 hit some highlights. We hit some lowlights. You had a bad idea. Like lots of good, <laughs> lots of good things happen here. So, half baked ideas is really the one that I want to half baked marketing campaigns. We have to Come commit on. in the next month. We're gonna do half baked marketing campaigns. Half baked. You and I are each gonna bring you know five to ten half baked marketing campaigns, and we're gonna go we're gonna go through the best ones for everybody to make fun of. Let's do it. And until next time, everyone, uh, we'll see you on the next episode of Marketing Against the Green with the fun facts, fantastic guests, and everything else in between. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week.